everybody, good morning and welcome to Christ Community Chapel. I'm really, really glad that you are here. Thanks for coming. I welcome those of you over in East Hall and those of you tuning in. Uh, welcome. All right, we spent the month of January introducing our theme for the year. And this theme that will carry our church till September is the theme, Love Matters Most. Love Matters Most. So we did a four-week series and we chose different famous verses about love from the Bible and talked about them throughout the month of January. Now we introduce a new series this weekend that will carry us 10 weeks, and it's on the Ten Commandments, uh, which seems like a non sequitur. It seems like a jarring kind of pivot to go from love to the Ten Commandments. Maybe you're like me. The visual I get when I think about the Ten Commandments is uh, Charlton Heston, you know, with the uh, tablets in one arm and pointing with this finger and having his freakishly kind of streaked hair blowing in the wind and looking really severe, right? It's not a warm and fuzzy feeling. I don't think about love when I think about the Ten Commandments. So why would we choose to do this series of all things uh, right after saying that we are going to be all about love mattering most? Well, the answer is we got that theme from a conversation that Jesus had with a lawyer in Matthew chapter 22. And this is that conversation. It says this, And one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So that's it. The lawyer says, what's the most important commandment? What's the greatest commandment? What matters most to God? Jesus says, love. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he adds verse 40. He says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You hear what he's saying? Jesus is saying that every law in the Old Testament, every command in the New Testament understood properly is about love. Everything in this book from cover to cover is about love. Love matters most. If, if I could introduce you to a religion that only had two rules, just two, that you had to worry about, would that be a religion you could get on board with. And that's what we're looking at. We decided to take the 10 most famous rules, the 10 commandments, and show how every one of them is connected to those two things, loving God and loving each other. All right, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 20. And if you don't have a Bible, it's going to come up on the screen. But before I read it, the passage for today, let me just give you some background. In Exodus chapter 20, uh, Moses has been commissioned by God to go to Egypt and lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. And he was to lead them out of Egypt because they'd been enslaved for 400 years. And that meant that everybody they knew were slaves. Their aunts and uncles were slaves. Their brothers and sisters were slaves. Their friends were slaves. Their parents, their grandparents, their great-grandparents, everybody they knew was a slave. And the worst thing about being a slave is that you have no freedom. 
All you have are rules. And then Moses leads the people out of Egypt by God's power, gets them to a safe place. They set up camp at the base of this mountain called Mount Sinai. Moses goes up on the mountain, meets with God, and comes down with some rules. And you kind of want to go, really, God? I mean, why don't you just give them a breather? I mean, they just finished all that time as slaves. Let them enjoy their freedom at least for a while before you slap more rules on them. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I will explain that in a minute. Let me go ahead and read the passage, and I'll give you the three points I want to cover today. This is from Exodus chapter 20. It's a very short passage, just three verses. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. This is God's word. All right, here are my three points. Point number one, why the order matters. Why the order matters. Point two, why the first thing is the first thing. Right? Why the first thing is the first thing. And then finally, why this is an invitation to intimacy. Why this is an invitation to intimacy. All right, first, why the order matters. A lot of people think that God gave the Ten Commandments to human beings because he wanted us to know how to connect with him or how to get on his good side or how to earn his favor. But look at verses 1 and 2. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This passage, before the law is given, starts with God saying, this is who I am, and this is what I've already done for you. That's important. This is Exodus chapter 20. An awful lot has happened in the first 19 chapters. Let me just recap for you. Exodus begins with God hearing the Israelites groaning and suffering. It doesn't even say that the Israelites were praying to God. It doesn't say that they turned over a leaf and became better, and so they drew God's attention and favor. It just says that God heard them. He heard their groans. He knew of their pain, and he decided to do something. He appears to Moses at a burning bush, and sends Moses with a message for Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh refuses. God unleashes some plagues on Egypt, and they're pretty bad things. There are lice, and there's boils, and there's flies, and there's darkness, and there's locusts, all kinds of stuff. And finally, Pharaoh cries uncle and says, you can go ahead and go. And the Israelites, if you read the story, while they're walking out of Egypt, God says, oh, as you leave, Ask the Egyptians for some stuff. They'll give you stuff, right? And so it's like they're leaving Egypt, and they turn to the Egyptians, and they say, hey, anybody interested in a GoFundMe to the promised land? Right? And all the Egyptians say, absolutely, right? Just so you go. And so they give them, and they, it, what it says in Scripture is that they looted Egypt as they left. Then Pharaoh changes his mind and pursues them. God miraculously delivers them, destroys the armies of Pharaoh. They go out into the wilderness. God, when they get thirsty, God gives them water to drink. When they get hungry, God gives them food that literally 
falls from the sky. They get to a safe place, the foot of the mountain called Mount Sinai. Moses goes up on the mountain, comes down with the Ten Commandments. Everybody with me so far? That order matters because the default mode of every human being is this, that we need to obey God and that God's law is like a ladder. Every human being has this basic kind of default mode where we think that God is up there and we are down here and God gives us things that we should do and things that we shouldn't do. And if we're good enough, we begin to climb the ladder up to him. And if you doubt that, then sometime this week, just go to somebody you work with, somebody you go to school with, somebody you're friends with, and ask them. And say, listen, if there is a heaven, do you think you're going to go there? And your friend will probably say, I hope so, I think so. And then if you say, tell me why, tell me why you will get to heaven, the vast majority of people will say, because I'm a good person, because I'm a good person. And that's a way of saying, I have begun to climb the ladder and I feel like I'm high enough on the ladder where God has got to be pleased with me and let me in. But that's not the order that's given in Exodus. Because the order that's given in Exodus is that first God gives his love and then he rescues the people, he saves the people before he ever gives them the law. It didn't have to be like that. God could have given Moses the law at the burning bush and said, Moses, I have something for you to do. My people, the people of Israel, are in Egypt and they're enslaved. I want you to go and you can, you'll pull them out of slavery. But listen, here's something that you should know and that they need to know. Here's my law and I want them to obey it. And if they agree to live by my rules, then I will rescue them. He could have, you ever seen a, like a contract like this? that you uh, end up having to sign all these little tabs are for sign here, initial here, sign here, initial here, right? Moses could have gone to Israel and said that. Hey, I have good news. God wants to pull you out of slavery. One catch. You need to sign this contract. These are his laws. He says, if you will do these, then he will set you free. So sign here, initial here, sign here, initial here. Every Israelite would have done it. I would have done it. You would have done it. To get out of slavery? Absolutely. But that's not what God did. God didn't even mention the law. First, he delivers them. He saves them. What God did was much more like adoption, right? You know, I love that our church is into adoption. And there are so many families in our church that have adopted. We even have an adoption fund to help families adopt children. But no parents go to a child that they are thinking about adopting and say, listen, we would like to adopt you, but we want you to know we have some house rules we need you to agree to. So sign here, initial here, sign here, initial here. Right? No. What parents do is they go to a child and they say, we have chosen you. We want you to come to us. We have already begun to love you. Right? But also, no parents would ever go to a child they were adopting and say, we have already begun to love you. We want you to come, and it's just because we want you, and we will never, ever have house rules. That wouldn't be loving either. The order matters. Because if you put 
God and you say, God is somebody who demands that I obey him before he will love me, it's a different religion than Christianity. Christianity always says that by grace you are saved, that God loves you like a parent adopting a child. He has put his love on you, and he says it's not because of what you do, but because of what Jesus has done for you in his life, death, and resurrection. That's why my love rests upon you. And then he gives the law. And if you get that messed up, if you change that order, the way you know is that as you try to be a good person, as you come to church, as you read the Bible, all the things you think that you are doing, that please God, you will be climbing a ladder. And if you get high enough, then you will actually look down, literally look down on people who are not obeying as many things as you are. And you will feel better about your person, yourself, you will feel smug, and you will be full of pride. Or you might be with the kind of person that keeps falling off the ladder and you keep screwing up. And every time you look at people that are obeying God and you think, oh, God must love them so much more than he loves me. Look at how high they are on the ladder. And you feel depressed and bad about yourself. The order matters. The order matters. And in this passage in Exodus, God saves them by grace. The law is not a way for salvation. So that's the first thing. Second thing is why the first one is the first one. Why the first one is the first one. This is the first commandment. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. The reason that's the first commandment is that everything flows out of that. Having the true God right in the center. Martin Luther uh, says this about this command. This is in the large catechism. He says, you shall have no other gods. What this means, you shall have me alone as your God. What is the meaning of this? And how is it to be understood? What does it mean to have a God or what is God? Answer, a God means that from which we are to expect all good and in which we are to take refuge in all distress. So to have a God is nothing other than trusting and believing him with the heart. I've often said that the confidence and faith of the heart alone make both God and an idol. If your faith and trust is right, then your God is also true. On the other hand, if your trust is false and wrong, then you do not have the true God. For these two belong together, faith and God. Now I say that whatever you set your heart on and put your trust in truly is your God. I have fallen in love with this particular prop, which is uh, the bicycle wheel. Uh, many of you have seen this before. And I use this to describe what the human heart works or how the human heart works. I believe every human heart is the same. Your heart, my heart. Each of these spokes represents different things that are valuable in your life that you value, that you love. It can be your family and your spouse and your friends and your job and your work and your hobbies and your health, all these things. But in every human heart, there is one thing that is more important than anything else, and that is right in the center. And whatever is the most important thing for you is the organizing principle for everything else. That's what Martin Luther says. And if it's the true God, that's one thing. If it's not, 
then that means something else, right? And you can see it in other people's lives easier than you can see it in your own. You all probably know someone where work is the most important thing to them, and they're workaholics, and they're always working. One of the easiest kind of things to see in somebody's hub is some kind of addiction, like alcohol or drugs, and you, you know that that controls them, that that is the organizing principle of their lives. You probably know a mom who says, I live for my kids, right? Anything can go in it. I met with a woman one time uh, years ago, and we were meeting in my office, and she and her husband had to sell their house because he had lost his job, and that had been her dream house. And she said to me, you don't understand Losing that house is like losing a child. And I thought, wow, what is she saying? You know what she's saying? That house has become right in the center of my life. It's easy to see in other people. It's harder to see in yourself. What is the thing that really is in the center of your life? There's a, um, an interesting and disturbing story in Genesis chapter 22. It's the story of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham has waited decades to have a son. He finally has a son. His name is Isaac. And Isaac is the apple of Abraham's eye. And then God, in chapter 22 of Genesis, tells Abraham, go, take Isaac, go to the place where I choose, and sacrifice him to me. And you want to go, what? Right? And, and sure enough, Abraham gets up, he takes Isaac, he goes to Mount Moriah, builds an altar, and right before he's about to sacrifice Isaac, God speaks again and says, stop, don't touch him. Don't hurt him. Because now I know that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And you kind of go, what in the world? Why would God ever do that to somebody? And the answer is that God was saving both Abraham and Isaac because if Isaac really was getting into the very center of Abraham's heart, where he would become more important than God himself, then it would destroy Abraham and destroy Isaac. If you want proof of that, you should look at Lori Laughlin and Felicity Huffman. And if you know those names, they've been in the news this last year. They are fairly famous actresses and now infamous moms, because each did the same thing with their respective daughters. They inflated, they got somebody to inflate their SAT scores, and then they fabricated even a whole athletic career so their daughters could be admitted into the college of their choice, which happened to be University of Southern California. Now, both Felicity Huffman and Lori Laughlin have been arrested. Their daughters have been humiliated worldwide, right? But if you were to ask Felicity Huffman, Lori Laughlin, why would you do that? Why would you lie? Why would you cheat? You know what they would say? Love. We just loved our daughters so much that we were willing to lie and to cheat for them. Jesus, when asked, what is the most important command? Jesus says, love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, mind, love your neighbor as yourself. If you do not get this first command, if God is not the center, you will not be able to love others. 
Think of the students that did not get into USC because Lori Laughlin and Felicity Huffman lied and cheated to get their daughters in, right? That's what happens. One of the things that's interesting that happens when you have something else in the center other than God is that you will find yourself being bound by that, being controlled by whatever that is. It doesn't matter what it is. It ends up controlling. It's another way of saying that it makes you a slave. You know, freedom is an interesting thing. Very hard to define. If you go out uh, to work tomorrow or to school and you ask somebody, tell me, how do you define freedom? The most uh, common answer you'll get is somebody who says, well, I guess freedom is being able to do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it, right? Freedom is life without limits, but that's never really freedom. Freedom always has limits. I wanted to have another prop. Uh, I've had something else planned, but it seemed like I was <laughs> too many props. So, but I, oh, I love this prop. I was going to have a goldfish, in a, I mean a live goldfish in water. And I was going to have only used it once, but I really loved it. And I was going to fish it out with a net and just put it on a plate. And then we would watch it together as it gasped for air. Right? Aren't you glad I didn't use the prop? <laughs> the reason I was going to do that is because a fish is only free when it's in the water, in the environment for which it was created. You are only truly free when you are in the environment for which you were created, and the environment for which you were created is to have no other gods besides God. God brings the people of Israel out of slavery, and he's saying to them, I don't want you to be a slave anymore. I don't want you to fall back into another type of slavery. So this is the first thing I want you to know. Don't have any other gods before me because I want you to be free. And in that story of Abraham and Isaac, that's why once Isaac took that step and was willing to sacrifice Isaac, then God said to Abraham, stop. Now that I know that you would not withhold your son, your only son from me, you can have him because now you can love him in a healthy way for you and for him because you are free. Right? That's the second point. The third point is why this is an invitation to intimacy. Why this is an invitation to intimacy. If the law of God isn't a ladder and you need to climb up in order to get salvation, then what's it for? The genius of Christianity is that God is a person who invites us into relationship with us. He wants you to know him, really know him. And whenever you get in a relationship with anybody, then there is different things that happen, different demands that are made. When I first got married, I struggled a bit. And the reason I struggled is because I wanted to really love my wife. I wanted to be close to her. And I found that I was kind of, I felt like I was, I'd lost my groove. When we were dating, uh, I felt like I was in a groove. I felt like uh, I just, it just came naturally. I just would do things instinctively that showed her that I loved her. I would do things instinctively to draw close to her. But then we got married, and there were different things that would happen that would create emotional distance, and I didn't understand it. 
And I would do something that would be really insensitive to her, but because I was the way I was, I wouldn't know what I did, right? Like most guys. So I wouldn't know what I did, and I would go to her, and I would say, something's wrong. I feel like, like we're, we're kind of far away from each other. Uh, is there something that I did? And my wife had trouble communicating, and so she would say, no. No, you're... And I would say, are you sure? And she would say, yeah. And because I was, you know, in my 20s and, you know, dumb as a post, I'd be going, okie dokie, that'd be fine, right? I'd walk away and we'd stay that distance. And it would take a long time until finally she would tell me what was wrong. Right now we've been married almost 40 years. And one of the great things is that now she tells me, <laughs> right? If I do something insensitive and I sense that distance, I go to her and I said, listen, is something wrong? Did I do something? And then she will say, yes, this is what you did. And it gives me an opportunity to, to not tell me was the worst thing. To tell me gives me an opportunity to say, listen, I want us to be close. And I, I get the chance to apologize and ask forgiveness. Do you get it? Do you understand? God says the law isn't something to save you. I have already given my love for you, not because of what you do, but because of what Jesus has already done for you through his life, death, and resurrection. I have adopted you. I love you already. And then he gives us the law to say, I want you to know me. I want to have a relationship with you. I want you to know when there's emotional distance between us, why that emotional existence, or why that emotional distance exists. And I want you to draw near to me. Get that? So now the question is how? How do we do that? How do we grow in our affection of God? How do we know when something else is starting to creep into the center of our hub, of our wheel, of our hearts? The answer is worship. Worship. That's why what we do here is so important. That's why it's important for you to come all the time. Because there's something about worship that helps us it will remind us of who God is, of what he has already done for us. It will remind us of the depth of his love and that he deserves to be in the center. And when we focus on God, then the other thing, whatever is kind of vying in comp competition with God, will fall away. The reason I know that is because I have uh, toddlers for grandchildren. Every once in a while, one of the grandkids will grab my phone, right? And I, I'll want my phone back. And if I don't want to, you know, get in a wrestling match with a toddler, all I have to do is try to find something that they value more, something that looks better to them, and I hold it in front of them, and they will look at it and look at it, and then they'll just drop the phone. And I'll give them what they really want. That's what worship does. Worship allows you to come in and focus on God in such a way that the other things that are vying for your affection will finally get in their proper place as a spoke and not the hub. It will help you grow in your affection for God, and then you'll be free, finally free, to really love other people, which is why Jesus says in the New Testament, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Jesus, when asked, what is the most important thing? What matters most? Jesus said, love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. The key to knowing love, real love, is worshiping the true God 
in the way that he wants to be worshipped and getting the order right, that you worship him because he's already shown his grace to you and saved you because this God of the universe, for this God, love matters most. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you. Thanks for being a God that does it in this order. You had every right to do it in a different order, to give us the law and say, this is the way that you please me, that you gain my love. But you didn't. Instead, you came to us in sheer grace out of your love, through your son Jesus. And then you invite us into this intimate relationship with you where we can really know you. And you open that up to us through worship. Thank you. Thanks for Jesus being such a wonderful Savior. And we pray this in his blessed name. Amen. All right, we've designed this service to end with a big chunk of worship because we feel like this is the best way to respond to God, to begin to obey this first command, have no other gods before me. We're going to worship him through communion. We're going to worship him through singing. And I pray that, we, that you will be able to focus so much on God that your affections will grow even this morning for him. Would you please stand as we begin to worship?